But we're in a series called Growing in Christ or Got Fruit, and uh, we've been taking, uh, 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 each week we've been taking one of the fruits of the Spirit and teaching on it, and uh, my fruit is faithfulness, and so I'm excited to share with you today about faithfulness. But when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you got to think about the battle that wars within every single one of us as individuals, and I'm here to give you an encouraging word today. That battle's never going to end, everybody. It, it doesn't end and, uh, and the war continues. And, and as you walk with Christ, there's battles that you win. And there's places where you, you face defeat and you get back up and keep going. And, and some of the battles that plagued you at one time don't plague you anymore. But it's amazing the works of the flesh. Just when you think you got that thing right where you want it, all of a sudden there's a visitation, if you would, to show you you're in great need of Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I got a lot of battles I got to go through, and I'm always reminded, and it humbles me to know that within my own strength, it's impossible to follow the Spirit. And Paul talks about that in the book of Galatians, and we're going to pick right up in chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. In other words, it keeps you from glorifying God. It's trying to hold you back to accomplish all that God called you to accomplish. I was thinking about that last night at night of worship. Was that last night, Friday night? It was Friday night. I'm not that smart, everybody, but um, I was there. You know what I mean? And I, I was thinking about finishing our race of faith. And each one of us has to finish our race. And uh, each one of us has to lay aside the weight that so easily tries to ensnare us, that tries to trap us, and tries to weigh us down in this race of faith that we're in. And so we're encouraged or we're charged, if you would, by the scripture. And in Galatians chapter 5, same chapter, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Now the Scripture tells us that as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. And so that's our goal is to be led by the Spirit of God. And the way we do that is by dying daily. Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he was moved by the Spirit. He was inspired by the Spirit. And he was called by the Spirit. But he taught us a valuable lesson. And he said, I die daily. How many of you are getting excited now about today? I died daily. In other words, I died to the sinful impulses of my old nature. I died to the gratifications of my flesh. I died to the ways of the world, and I died to my old ways, my sinful nature, and I have to consciously do that as an individual. I have to co-labor with God. And in other words, I have to surrender to his will every day. I love the Lord's prayer when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and I'm going to teach you how to pray in the context of one day. And so, you know, when I think about following the Lord, uh, I try to think about it at one day at a time. Like, this is the day the Lord has given me, and let me make the best of it. You know what I'm talking about. 
So today, let's talk about faithfulness. So when you think about faithfulness, the first thing you got to realize is where did the origin of faithfulness come from? And we know it's an attribute of God. We know that God uh, exemplifies faithfulness. And we see it right here in Psalms chapter 36, verse 5. It says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Uh, Basically, I can't measure your faithfulness. I can't measure the depth and the width of your faithfulness because it's grand. It's, It's higher than my ways. It's vast, and it's steady, and it's reliable. As a matter of fact, when you look at that word faithfulness, In the Hebrew language, it actually means steadfastness or trustworthiness. So God's faithfulness is steadfast. So God, you're steadfast and you're trustworthy, and that's who God is, and that's what his attribute is, and that is what he's showing us so that we can mirror that not only to God but to others. And in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know a lot of the New Testament was written in Greek, and that Greek word for faithfulness actually means reliable, that God is reliable, and we can put all our trust in him. We can put all of our hope in him. We can put every bit of who we are and every bit of our thinking and every bit of our present and every bit of our past and our future in him and him alone. Everything else can be shaken, but God can't be shaken. We said it in worship that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His faithfulness endures from generation to generation to generation. And we have to be reminded of that because throughout this life, our faithfulness is going to be tested, our faith's going to be tested, and it's going to be tried. And we're going to see that in the life of a man named Joseph. But before we get into Joseph's life, there's one fruit of the Spirit that we are not going to be covering throughout this series, and that's that of self-control. And when you think about self-control, it really means means self-mastery. It it means being dominated by the Spirit of God. It, It means that Jesus is the bishop of my soul, and because of that, I'm going to move into self mastery and self restraint according to the Scripture. So I'm going to allow the Scripture to have its work in my life, and I'm going to practice this thing called self control, and it's going to have a work in me for the glory of God, not the glory of self. Make sense? Self control. So when you think about faithfulness, let's define it today. Faithfulness is the quality of being faithful, trustworthy, and reliable to God. So that's the big idea today, that, 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 that we would be trustworthy, that we would be reliable to God. And, 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 and because of that, then, then this is what's going to happen. In our faithfulness to God, we'll reflect his unwavering faithfulness to others. So first we're faithful to God, and then that reflection will work out with people. And so we can't get the cart before the horse. We've got to understand this thing called faithfulness and, and, and how it wants to work in our life. And I couldn't think of a better character in the uh, Bible than a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was a guy in the Old Testament. And believe it or not, his great-grandfather was, was, was a guy by the name of Abraham. 
And Abraham is known as the father of faith. And Abraham, he had a son, and uh, his son was Isaac. And then Isaac had a son, and, and his son was Jacob. And then Jacob was the father of Joseph. So Joseph was raised underneath the covenant that God made with Abraham that declared his faithfulness. And Joseph's going to find out how much that's really going to be tested But before we get into that, I want to read to you the word of the Lord to his great-grandfather before we get into his life, and it's found in Genesis. It's not on the screen, so just listen with me. God told Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Now, out of the lineage of Abraham came Jesus. And so here's Joseph right down in that line. And we're going to pick up in his story. And I'm going to believe that God's going to speak to every single one of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we're praying that you would highlight your word for us today, God, as we uh, disclose the, the life of Joseph, God, and his faithfulness to you, but God, your faithfulness to him. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joseph, you know, Joseph had a lot of things that he went through in his lifetime that we read about in the Old Testament. And there's many different things that try to come against his faithfulness to God, his reliability to God, and his trustworthiness to God to take him out, to cause him to quit the race, if you would, and say, I don't believe God. I I don't think his promise is true. I don't think that promise he gave to my great-grandfather is actually real. It's not working. And the first thing that Joseph is tested in is that in opposition. And he had to show faithfulness in opposition. See, Joseph had a dream as a young guy And the dream, basically, that God gave him was telling Joseph that, you know, you're going to be greater than your brothers. He had some brothers, and you're going to be greater than your father, and God's going to do a great work in you. And Joseph started telling everybody about his dream, and not everybody was so excited about that. You know, a lot of times when God does something in your life, not everybody's excited about that. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just the way it is, but it's not about what people are excited about. It's what Jesus is excited about. And Joseph had opposition, man, you know what I mean? And he started telling people about his dream, and it started right there in his inner circle. And so let's read about that in Genesis chapter 37. It says, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, I don't think they were too excited about that, you know what I mean? <laughs> so his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And let's pause that right now. The Bible says that, that Joseph's dad was showing favoritism to him. So he was already in the midst of opposition. He already had this chip on his shoulders. They already had a target out for him. And then God speaks to him and he starts sharing his dream. So the cards were against this guy right off the bat. Verse 9, he dreamed another dream. 
And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, I don't know if Joseph knew his father kept the saying in mind. Another translation says that his father held that word dear to his heart. I just know that Joseph had a dream that God was faithful to reveal his plan to him, and Joseph was faithful to begin to tell about his plan in the midst of opposition. He was tested from the get-go, and he was rebuked by his inner circle. Man, that's tough. I don't know. Have you ever been rebuked by your inner circle? Have you ever been rejected by your inner circle right off the bat? I don't know. I think it probably started to blur that dream right from the beginning. And he had to begin to, he had to, begin to show faithfulness in that opposition. He had, to, he, had to, he had to begin to work that thing out and remain faithful. As a matter of fact, we have to remain faithful to God's vision even when it seems impossible. So here he is, his dad rebukes him, his brothers hate his guts, he feels like he hears from God, and he has to remain faithful even when it seems impossible. Did you know opposition is a part of the plan? I mean, Jesus said it this way, through many trials and tribulations, one enters into the kingdom of heaven. And so it's something we can't escape. It's something that we're all going to face from season to season throughout your lifetime until you're finished with, this, with, it, with your race. And, and we have to be aware of that because a lot of times when opposition comes into our life, our faith is tested and we begin to question the, the, the reality of God. We, be, we begin to, tr- tr- to, to, to test, is the word really true? Or you, you, you say, or God, have you cursed me? And you say, man, does that happen? It happens all the time in the minds of men and women. When opposition comes and they find themselves in a a tight spot, all of a sudden everything is tested. Everything they believe, everything that they confessed, every worship song that they sang, all of a sudden when it really, really hurts, they say, God, what's going on? Are you really real? And that's what happens to us. And uh, uh, it's part of the plan because... The Bible says to consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, God didn't send the trial, but God will use the trial. And he's sovereign. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. I can't speak to that. But God is sovereign above all things, and he'll use the trial to produce perseverance in your life. The perseverance of the saint, the steadfastness of your faithfulness to God in the midst of opposition is a form of being conformed into the image of Jesus. And it's in those moments that we have a choice to make. It's in those moments of opposition that we have a a, a conscious choice to make that says, God, I trust you no matter what, even when it seems impossible. Hebrews says it this way, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not yet seen. Now, I know Joseph had not seen his dream come to pass. He had a glimpse of it, and he was rebuked about three times. He had pressure on him, and and, and all of a sudden, Joseph's brothers, because of this dream, their jealousy began to be enraged on the inside of them. 
They begin to hate him because of his dream. They begin to hate him because what they thought God was doing in their life, in his life, that they, they begin to just literally say, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm go- Look, his brothers begin to plot to murder their youngest brother named Joseph. Now that's opposition is one thing, but murder is another thing. And they begin to plot and their, their jealousy begin to be fueled. Did you know that jealousy will grow, and it produces a murderous spirit, right? It, it produces, an, 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 I'm going to annihilate this person. And it happens to us. It happens in the church. Come on. It happens in your families. It happens on the job. And that's what was happening to his brothers. And they begin to plot to kill him, and they betrayed him. If faithfulness and opposition weren't enough, Joseph had to remain faithful in the midst of betrayal. Faithfulness in betrayal. Let's look at the story right here in Genesis. It says, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it that we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, Judah had a little bit of sense about him. His brothers said, we're going to kill him. Judah said, no, nah, let's just not kill him. Come on, guys. We don't want to kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Let's sell him out to slavery, and then we'll be done with this dude, right? What profit is it if we kill our, our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him, thank God. And then the Midianites' traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Man, that dream's really working good, huh? It's warming up. That dream's warming up in the microwave. You know what I'm talking about? That dream, I I, I would say, my father rebuked me. My brothers wanted to kill me. Now I was in a pit, and they sold me for 20 shekels of silver, and now I'm going down to Egypt, the enemies of God. I'm a Hebrew kid called by God. I've got a dream, and I'm going to the land of the enemies in cuffs, basically. Man, but God's faithfulness is at work. Because he uses that betrayal to continue to fulfill his plans. You know that song that we sing sometimes? Even when I don't see him, he's working. That's what we have to believe. Even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't understand, he's working. Even if I'm unfaithful, he remains faithful. And his word is true and it won't return void. No matter what's going on in between the ears, you know what I mean? Joseph had to maintain his trust in God's faithfulness, even in the face of injustice, even in the face of betrayal. He was being tested, man. The faith in him was being tested. It was being tested in his life. And and, and we have to understand our faith is going to be tested. And there's going to be times when I was betrayed and going to be betrayed. Some of you in here have faced betrayal and it hurts. Some of you are living with past betrayal right now and you're carrying it with you everywhere you go and it's like a cancer to your soul that's rotting you away. That's where we have to say this. We have to say that God's faithfulness can guide us toward his greater purpose even in the darkest betrayals. Even in the darkest betrayals, we have to trust God We have to allow God to work through the circumstances in our life for spiritual growth. Romans says it this way, and we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, the things that work to good is when we yield in the midst of betrayal, 
in the midst of opposition, and we're conformed into the image of Jesus. That's a good thing. The Bible says that he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, and we're the bride of Christ. And in these mile markers in our lifetime, they're like, they're like forks in the road. I, I look at every one of these instances in the life of Joseph like forks in the road, and over and over and over again throughout our seasons, we're going to come across these forks in the road, and we have a choice. We have a choice to make to say that all things work together for the good when I yield myself to Jesus and when I say your plans are better than my plans, and when I say I submit to you no matter what, God, it doesn't matter what they did to me. It doesn't matter what's happening to me. I'm going to stand faithful because you're faithful. And then because of that, all things are going to work together for the good. And here's those things. I'm going to be conformed in your image and in your likeness. Amen. I'm going to be like Jesus. I know. Yeah, come on. Let's give it up for Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus. Now, I know a lot of us say all things work together for the good. I'm going to make some more money because of it. I'm going to get that promotion. You know what I mean? This good thing is going to happen to me. No, 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 no. I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and that's the only thing that matters. And I have to remind myself of that unless I move into the ways of the world. The psalmist said it this way. He said, Lord, you're my shepherd, and I shall not want you satisfy me and nothing else satisfies. This life is but a vapor and I don't put my hope in this lifetime. I put my hope in your word and in this lifetime, because of your faithfulness to me and because of my faithfulness to you, all things are going to work together for the good, for those who love God, called according to his purposes. And I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus and I'm going to die for Jesus. Come on, everybody. And that's the gospel. Yeah, that's the gospel. But that takes the spirit of God. That's not something we're anxious about all the time. It takes the spirit of God to do this in our life. I was reading in the Old Testament last week, and uh, the children of God were in Babylonian cap captivity. They were captives. They were exiled, and they were coming out of exile. They were coming out of captivity from, from the Babylonian empire, and they were charged to rebuild the temple of God. And that was the word of the Lord. Go rebuild the temple. And there was so much pressure. And there was so much opposition to re rebuild the temple. And one of the leaders in charge of rebuilding the temple was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Pretty cool name. A guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was under immense pressure to carry out the word of the Lord. And he was working in his own strength. And he was trying with everything he had. And he was falling short. He was, he, you know, he was not really conquering the task. And the, the, the Lord decided to send a prophet by the name of Zechariah to, to Zerubbabel. And the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel from Zechariah. And it said that it's not by power or by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so it's the spirit of God that produces the fruit of his spirit in us. It's the spirit of God that causes us to be able to accomplish his will. There's nothing I can do in my self-power to do it. I have to rely on the spirit of God to remain faithful in, in, betrays, in betrayals. Put it this way. L listen to this. God's faithfulness can guide us toward his greater purpose even in the darkest betrayals because it's by his spirit. So Joseph, here he is. He had a dream. His brothers cursed him. His daddy rebuked him. They tried to murder him. He was sold into slavery. The, utter, the, the, most, the, the worst betrayal you can ever face by your family members. 
and he goes into a place in Egypt, and there was a guy in charge down there, one of the guys in charge, the captain of the guard, and his name was Potiphar. And Potiphar decided that I want Joseph to serve in my house, so he bought him and said, bring him to my house. That's what they did in those customs. They bought, they bought slaves and brought him, so Joseph was that guy. And he found himself in Potiphar's house in the middle of Egypt in obscurity, and he had to remain faithful in the midst of obscurity. And so faithfulness in obscurity was a tough, tough deal, especially after being betrayed. Remember, he had a dream, and since that dream, he's taken three major blows. And here he is in obscurity. Let's pick up the story, chapter 39. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Man, I tell you right now that one of the greatest things that God can do for us as we go through these mile markers in our life is to show us that he's with us and that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I think that's enough to cause us to continue. And look, the Spirit of God reveals that to man. I can't reveal that to you. The Word reveals it to us, but the Holy Spirit illuminates that for you as an individual. And it's like, yes, God, you're with me. It's like you know that you know that you know that God is there. I remember back many, many years ago when I gave my life to Christ, I was searching for God and I found myself out on the oil field. And nobody knew where I was. There wasn't anybody on the earth that knew where I was except my father. And uh, I went out there and I brought a little black Bible that I got from, you know, some sort of Bible VBS school when I was a little bitty kid. But as I was on my way offshore, I grabbed that little Bible, threw it in my bag. I've never read it before. And I, and I, and I went to, I'm going to summarize this story, but I found myself on a platform uh, right out in international waters, right outside of uh, Texas. And I opened up the kitchen door. I flew in a chopper. I opened up the kitchen door, jumped out of the chopper, opened up the kitchen door, and there's a little short cage in there. And he said, you brought your little black Bible with you. And I said, man, this guy's strange. He's weird. <laughs> but I knew I had that little black Bible in the bag. And so that night or that morning, I worked a graveyard shift. I opened up the Bible. And when I opened it up, I read in the book of Psalms. And what I read right there, the Holy Spirit illuminated, and God spoke to me three things. He said, you're going to live and not die. I know where you are, and i got a plan for your life. Amen. And only the Spirit of God can do those things, and only the Spirit of God can do that in your life. Only the Spirit of God can reveal to you that he's with you, that he'll never leave you and forsake you according to the Scripture. And when that happens, everybody, it produces faith. Amen. It does something in your life supernaturally. And we need that on this journey. I don't know about you. I need that. Even in the seasons of obscurity and insignificance, our faithfulness to God can lead to unexpected promotions. And that's what happened to Joseph. Joseph wasn't looking for a promotion. Joseph was fighting the good fight of faith. But God saw it fit that he revealed to Potiphar that the Lord was with him and elevated Joseph to a place 
of power in Potiphar's house, even in obscurity, where nobody knew his name, nobody knew where he came from, nobody knew that he was a, you know, a social media influencer, you know what I'm talking about? He didn't post this and post that, you know what I'm talking about? Look at me here and look at me there and look what the Lord's doing. You know what I'm talking about? He wasn't touting with his mouth. He was silent servant. He was a silent servant. How many silent servants we have in here? You know, our culture is a loud culture. God's looking for silent servants. Think about that. Joseph was a silent servant. He didn't have to tout anything. He was working this thing out with God. And God saw fit to do something in his life. I think about our life wherever you're at, day in and day out, at your jobs, at your neighborhoods, whatever you do every day. Colossians chapter 3 says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's something I got to remember every day, that I'm serving Christ, though I'm not serving myself. I'm not serving another man. Now we have jobs and we have, I'm ultimately serving the Lord Christ. And I believe this is what was going on in Joseph's life. Amen. So here he is in the house of Potiphar in a place of obscurity. He, he was opposed. He was betrayed. And now he's in obscurity. And then in this place, all of a sudden temptation starts to come to Joseph's life. You know, after three or four major blows, you know you start to get a little tired. You start to get a little tired. You start to get a little weighed down. You know what I mean? When, when the things start getting tough in life and it, and, it, and it just keeps coming in waves, you know what I mean? It keeps coming in waves and, and you're struggling. Maybe you have relational conflict. Maybe you have financial conflict. Maybe you messed up and you're trying to get back. Maybe, maybe you have oppositions of all kinds. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial. Maybe you're sick in your body. I don't know, but it's a place where you're tired. And I think Joseph, I mean, it doesn't talk about if he's tired, but he was a man. He's just a human. So these are some major blows, and I think he was tired. And he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar had a wife in that house. Now, this is, this is me paraphrasing. This is not in the scripture, but I might say that Potiphar's wife was real good looking. Now, if you're married here today, just look over to your spouse and say, baby, you're, you're, you're better looking than Potiphar's wife. I know you are. <laughs> no comparison. I think Potiphar's wife was a supermodel in today's terms. Seriously, I think she was a good-looking woman. Now, I'm not going to talk much more about that. I think she was a good-looking woman. And Joseph began to encounter this woman. And, and you know, I, I was reminded even in this teaching that, that sin is crouching at your door. The, the, the Bible says that sin crouches at your door. And it kind of gives the illustration of, of, of like a, let's just call it like a, how many of you have cats in here? Any cat people? I don't have any, a couple cat people. How many have got dogs? I mean, dogs are the same way, and especially in South Mississippi, and especially in today's culture. All dogs and animals live in houses now, most of them. Unless you go to my dad's house, they ain't coming in. <laughs> and boy, as soon as you open that door, they're coming inside. 
if you just give them a little bit of crack in the door, they're coming inside. And, and, and so sin's crouching at the door of, of Joseph. He's tired. He's in a place way down in Egypt. He gets a promotion. He's elevated in the house of Potiphar. And all of a sudden, this thing comes to take him out. And it, and it comes in the image of Potiphar's wife. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 39. And after a time, his master... His master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Here it is, against God. He didn't even even put her husband. He said against God. He elevated God over her husband. How can I do this great wickedness against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, I think she just, when he said that, I think she just batted her eyes. And she didn't even acknowledge that statement because verse 10 says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her and to be with her. Day after day. She put a drip campaign on him, everybody. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You know what a drip campaign is? You ever sign up for one of those things on on, uh, a website and you put your email address in there? And then every other hour, you get in that email, buy this, come do this every day. Every day you wake up in the morning, here I am. All of a sudden, you go to Facebook, here I am. You know what I'm talking about? Drip campaign. She had a drip campaign on him, everybody. He didn't have social media. Some of you women have got a drip campaign going on in your life from a man you need to shut off. Uh-oh. Some of you men, you got, you got somebody throwing a drip campaign on you. This is what happened to Joseph. He was tired. She, she was a supermodel, and she was on him like white on rice. <laughs> Picture it with me. I like to really get Im- I like imagery in the Bible. I don't know about you. She's on him like white on rice. He's tired. He don't know about the dream anymore. All of a sudden, he's in a place of power. That place of power could have got to his head. He's in obscurity. He ain't around his fathers. He ain't around the Hebrews anymore. He's right down in Egypt, right down in Potiphar's house, and she got a drip campaign on him. Day after day, night after night, she's on him. And that's what happens to us. Temptation will come when we're tired. It'll be on you like white on rice, and it'll just work you over. It'll just start working you over in waves. It'll start showing you different angles. And it promises everything. It promises everything. It promises to satisfy. It promises to lure your flesh and satisfy you. And as soon as you bite into that thing, it's nothing but shame and pain. Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? Shame and pain. Immediately, that's the trap. And here he was, just like any other man, just like any other woman. Here he is. He's taking four major blows. He, he, God just reminded him, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm going to work a, a, a divine miracle in your life in the house of Potiphar in obscurity when nobody knows you. And here I am. And then here comes that woman. I'm not, I'm not coming against women, everybody. Here comes that thing, and it's on him. In the face of temptation, faithfulness to God brings greater rewards than momentary pleasure. 
you're going to be tempted. And when you're tempted, you got to seek God's strength to resist temptation and stand firm in your faith. You got to rely on his faithfulness to provide a way out when faced with temptation. You got to pursue, pursue righteousness and re remain faithful to God, even when it's so challenging, you don't think you can do it. First Corinthians says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. I think a lot of us have an endurance problem. You know what I mean? Endurance. Faithfulness. That's why it's so beautiful to be a part of the body of Christ, right? Let's not forsake the gathering of the saints as many are in the habit of doing, but let us come together even more as we see the day approaching so that we can be rebuked. I need to be rebuked so we can be encouraged, so, so that the word can be preached to us, so that re reproof and, and, and we can be stirred, we can be reproved, we can be stirred to good works, and we can be reminded of his faithfulness and our reliance upon him. So here he is, got the drip campaign on him. She's on him like white on rice. And all of a sudden, a whole new adversity comes into his life. He said, I'm not going to sin against my God. She didn't care about that. She's still on him day after day. And Joseph was like, I don't want nothing to do with you. And obsession really took over in this woman's life. And she was obsessed about Joseph. I mean, she was on him, upset, real obsession, to the point where she grabbed the man and began to tear his clothes off. You know what I mean? That's where they get all these Netflix movies from anyway, about right there. <laughs> She's on him to such a degree. She had to have him. He resisted. If that wasn't good enough, if the temptation that he was holding back wasn't good enough, she began to take her clothes off. She began to tear his clothes off. And it says that he, he, he had his outer garment on and she began to tear it off of him. And the Bible says that he let that thing ride above his head and he took off running out the house, everybody. He didn't grab his, his, his tunic. He didn't grab his staff. He didn't grab his bag of gold. He didn't grab anything else. He said, I'm out of here. <laughs> He's a running man. The New Testament says flee sexual immorality. That word flee is hightail it out of here, baby. Because that thing is strong. You know what I'm talking about? It's strong. And he said, take my tunic. And he ran out. And when he did, she was some mad and she claimed he raped her. She went back to her husband, Potiphar, and with his clothes and said, look, Joseph, the guy you put in charge, he raped me. She framed him. Joseph had to remain faithful in adversity, faithfulness in adversity. Now what Potiphar had to do, he said, I'm throwing the man in prison. I got no other choice. My wife saying she raped him. All my guards said he threw the man in prison. He was framed. Look at this, Genesis chapter 39 says, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord, here it is, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. And the keeper of prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done in there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. 
in times of adversity, our unwavering faithfulness to God can lead to his divine intervention. He's in prison. Second Corinthians says it this way, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And that's where Joseph was. Here he is in prison. I'm about to wrap this story up, but here he was in prison. He's taken five major blows. Now he's in prison. How many think he was excited about that dream? <laughs> the word of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure he was wrestling on the inside of him. But talking about a dream... I would imagine he was just, I, 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 he had to struggle with that. God kept showing that he's with him to say, no, I'm still faithful. I'm still going to carry it out even in the midst of this. I don't know the warfare that was going on in his mind. But he found himself in the king's prison. And guess what? There was a couple guys down there who said, I had a dream. I'm sure Joseph like, I don't want to hear anything about no dream. <laughs> but he was an interpreter of dream. And there was a baker in prison and there was a cupbearer in prison. They both worked for the king. They worked for uh, uh, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And this baker said, Look, let me tell you my dream. It's tormenting me. And he told Joseph the dream, and Joseph interpreted the dream. He said, you're going to be brought out of prison, and, and, and Pharaoh's going to cut your head off, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. I'm sure he went back to his cell that night very unhappy. <laughs> he didn't sleep that good. <laughs> But then the cupbearer said, I've got a dream. And he said, tell me the dream. And Joseph said, God's the interpreter of dreams. He told him the dream. He said, you're going to come out of prison, and you're going to be restored to your place with Potiphar as a cupbearer. Time went on. Guess what? They were brought out of prison. The baker, Pharaoh cut off his head, and the, the birds ate his flesh. And the cupbearer, he was restored back to his rightful place as a cupbearer with Pharaoh. And, and Joseph said, by the way, guys, when you get out of prison, remember me. By the time he got in front of Pharaoh as a cupbearer, he didn't say a word about Joseph in prison. He said, man, that cupbearer is a terrible guy. Let me, let me, let me give you, and I, I know I'm going a little long. We're going to wrap this thing up. The cupbearer, this is my translation about the cupbearer. After he saw the baker's head get cut off, he said, I ain't saying nothing else. You want some more wine? You want some more food? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? That's just my paraphrase. Maybe the Lord will show you one day. But all of a sudden, Pharaoh started getting these tormenting dreams. And he called all the wise men of Egypt. He called all of his magicians. He called all these people. And nobody could interpret the dream. And that cupbearer was right there. And he said, I've got a confession to make. There was a Hebrew man down in prison. And he interpreted my dream. And he told Pharaoh, interpret it. And you killed the cup. You killed the baker. And Pharaoh said, well, go get the boy. So they shaved Joseph. They got him cleaned up. And they brought him before Pharaoh. And Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. And he basically told Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine, according to your dream. And he said, if you do the things right in plenty and appoint somebody above all this, it, it, you're going to be taken care of. So in the years of plenty, you need to go ahead and store up. And then when the people of land run out of food in the famine, they're going to bring money, and you're going to take their money and give them some food, and then they're going to run out of money. 
And then they're going to bring their land for food, and you're going to take their land and, 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 and for some food. And then when they run out of land, they're going to say, take us as slaves. We're starving to death. And Pharaoh said, that's a pretty good plan, boy. <laughs> he said, matter of fact, you're going to run that plan. I don't see anybody better than you. He wasn't asking for it. He just gave him a strategy. And Pharaoh said, how about you be second in command in all of Egypt? Here he was, Joseph, second in command in all of Egypt, and he said, you're going to ride in the second chariot. And when Joseph rides by, he, he gave Joseph an, Egypt, an Egyptian name. But he said, when Joseph rides by, everybody's going to bow his knee. You know who I started thinking about? Potiphar's wife. <laughs> we having fun in church today, everybody. You know, I got an imagination. She framed him. So here's Joseph, second in charge of all of Egypt. Famine happened seven years later, and guess who became hungry? His brothers. His daddy sent his brothers down. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. He sent his brothers to get food, and guess who they stood and bowed before asking for food? Joseph. I can imagine in that moment, by then Joseph was married, second in charge. He had kids. They couldn't even recognize him. He looked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. I know some of you are thinking about it. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I had to do that. I didn't do that last week, but <laughs> here they are in this moment, and Joseph had a choice to make. I can kill him now. But I, I can imagine by, by the power of God, all of a sudden that dream started elevating his life. Your brother's going to bow. Your sheaves are going to be hard. And, and I believe something happened to him when he saw the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. He said, I'm going to remain faithful in reconciliation. I'm not going to kill my brothers. Genesis says this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land for two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God and his faithfulness, and he made me father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and the ruler of all of Egypt. And they bowed down and said, Joseph wept. And I imagine his brothers remembered the dream, but greater than that, they remembered God's faithfulness because it wasn't about Joseph and it wasn't about his brothers. It was about the covenant he made with his great-grandfather Abraham who said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants shall be like the sand of the seashore and my word will prevail and I'm going to have a remnant of people who will worship me and out of that remnant will come Jesus the Savior. Come on, everybody. Bow! Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Lord, you're faithful. Your, faithful reach, your faithfulness reaches to the heavens all the way down to the earth, God. And we want to be faithful. You're surrendering to the Lord right now. His presence is here. Doesn't matter what you've done. It's I'm surrendering to you right now. 
I'm surrendering to your faithfulness, Lord. And I'm going to remain faithful. The faithfulness is seen in Jesus Christ, your Lord. And some of you right now are surrendering for the first time to Jesus. You're giving your life to him. You know, in this story, we're really not Joseph. We're the brothers in a place of famine. A lot of, a lot of scholars look at Joseph as a type and a shadow of Christ. And we're like the brothers that comes before Joseph. We're, we're famished because of sin. And Jesus, he's the redeemer. He's the great high priest. We have nothing to give him but our lives. And so we surrender to that right now, Lord. In Jesus' name. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed. The opposite of faithfulness in our life is unfaithfulness. And hearing about the story of Joseph, just think about what would have happened if he would have remained unfaithful. Unfulfilled dreams. You missed the opportunity to fulfill his purpose and God's plan for him. Broken relationships, bitterness, resentment, brokenness would have plagued him. Compromised character. There would have been moral compromise. There would have been missed opportunities and it would be continued brokenness. But thank God for Jesus. Second Timothy says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And so, Lord, that's our declaration today, that we'll remain faithful through every opposition, through every adversity, through every betrayal, through every temptation, in obscurity, in, in that place, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.